Welcome back to our new podcast dedicated to the teaching on the Galatians studies that we're doing with the huddles at Christ Central. We are so excited to see what the Lord might do in our hearts and lives and as a result in his church as we dig into the word together. I am super excited to be doing this with Susan tonight. Uh, Susan has, Susan Jett has been a part of writing and building out the curriculum with me over the summer and it's been such a sweet time in the word together and um, it's also a lot more fun to do it with people than by yourself. It's, it does, it is. So Susan, why don't you tell everybody just a little bit about yourself and then. Okay, well, we'll Joy has already told you my name. I'm Susan Chet. We've actually been at Christ Central almost right at a year. Um, we came in September of last year. Um, we love it here at Christ Central. We love the preaching of the word. We love the centrality of the gospel. Um, and it is a good fit. We have felt very much at home, and I agree with you. It has been a sweet time this summer mm -hmm. to spend time together and to talk mm -hmm. and to share God's word, to process it together. Mm -hmm. I love it. It is, and this is actually one of the reasons why we had the idea to do the podcast as opposed to the lecture. We, of course, would prefer for this to be in person, but we've just had so many great sweet enriching conversations around the word and I do think there's a time and a place for both a lecture style teaching but it just feels appropriate in this moment that we approach it more like a conversation and Susan has so much to add to the conversation so I'm excited for you to have her here and excited for me to have her here too so Tim Keller calls Galatians a bomb I found that very compelling he says it's full of dynamite and all packed into this little book. The doctrine of the gospel by faith alone in Christ alone that Paul expounds in this letter has made all the difference for the modern church. Truly, yes. all the difference. It's an explosion of joy and freedom, and we're going to see more of that as we work through the book. But it's also controversial because, as we will see, life and death and eternity hang in the balance. So before we jump in, I'm going to pray for us and for you, and then we're going to start talking about Galatians chapter 1. Father, we believe that you inhabit your word, that when you send it out, it does not come back to you void, but it accomplishes the purpose you send it out to accomplish, and that is good news for us tonight. Father, I pray for the huddles as they're gathering together that the Spirit would counsel them in the Word, that the Spirit would illumine their hearts with the truth of the gospel, the one true gospel. And God, would you bring us to repentance in the ways that we have tried to add to it? And Father, would you revive your church as a result? It's in the sweet name of Jesus, who is our only Savior, who made the only atonement for our sin. In his name that we pray. Amen. Okay, so last week we built up the context for the book of Galatians. We talked through the archaeological questions, including Paul's purpose in writing the letter, which we see in chapter 2, that no one is justified or made right with God through works of the law, but only through faith in Jesus. This is where we got our title for the study, Alone. The true gospel given to us in Scripture is that we are saved by faith alone, in Christ alone, 
this week, we're going to jump right in and walk through it verse by verse. Did you have anything to add to how we came up with that title? Uh, when the Reformation uh, began, they found the need to state very clearly uh, what it was that the Reformation stood for. And they came up with what were called the five solas. Mm -hmm. There was by grace alone, sola gratia. There was by faith alone, sola fide. Uh, fide thank you. Uh, by Christ alone, sola Christos. Scripture alone, sola scriptura, and for the glory of God alone. And that was why we call this alone, because this whole gospel, of, or this whole epistle of the Galatians deals with alone. That is basically the book of Galatians. <laughs> it is. So, let's start at the very beginning. It's a very good place to start. It is. <laughs> I'm not going to start singing. <laughs> Paul, an apostle, not from men nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised him from the dead, and to all the brothers who are with me to the churches of Galatia. This is a letter to a group of churches, or um, what we call an epistle. And just as we have customary ways of starting a letter, the apostle did as well, or the apostles did as well. They would start with a salutation, like we would say in a letter, Dear John, and then move on to a greeting. In this one, uh, we see Paul's greeting, grace and peace. And in every other letter Paul has written, he then moves on to a moment of thanksgiving for the people he's writing to or some kind of commendation or a blessing, but not in Galatians. He skips right over the thanksgiving and gets to the point. So let's first look at his salutation. Right out of the gate, we see Paul naming himself as an apostle, not from men nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father. We, you can feel that sense of urgency in the very first words as he yes. defends his authority as a messenger of the gospel. The Greek word apostolos means to be sent. His phrase, not from men nor by man, drives home the uniqueness of the apostles, which included the 12 minus Judas, and then one or two more, um, including Paul, who had personal encounters with and callings from the person of Jesus Christ. So I call these the the small set of people, the big A apostles, <laughs> there were no successors. Paul distinguishes himself from other believers who were with him when he says, um, along with the brothers. Um, so we see here that he already is setting out the special nature of his call as an apostle. And I know that you spent a lot of time studying that. So I'd love to hear what you learned from Paul, an apostle, and why it's so important that he, right out of the gate, tries to establish his authority and his position as an apostle? Well, the apostleship is important uh, in that that word itself, as mm -hmm. you said, means sent. Mm -hmm. And Paul saw himself and others did see him as well. The other apostles, the capital A apostles, mm -hmm. saw Paul as the one who had been called by Jesus. And he goes on in chapter one to talk about his calling from the Damascus Road on, and he does his biography. So it was important for him to do this because the people who had come to undermine the gospel in Galatia were, in the Galatian churches, were saying basically, yes, Paul does say this so far, but later we need to add a little bit to it. Mm -hmm. And Paul was saying, no, this is what has been given to me by mm -hmm. God as an apostle, capital A. Right. And he wasn't just sent from the church in Antioch. No. He wasn't sent 
from the other apostles in Jerusalem. Right. He was sent by, by the person exactly. of Jesus, by the will of God. Right. Um, so I, could, I couldn't help but ask the question when I read through this the first time, why is he defending himself so vehemently? It almost comes across as his ego was hurt or that he's somehow elevating himself and his position, um, almost like he was ticked off that somebody was challenging him right. a little bit. But it's much deeper than that when we look closely. The gospel was at stake in the Judaizers, who we've mentioned before, the men um, who were troubling the church in, uh, throughout Galatia, were undermining the truth of the gospel by undermining the authority of the one who preached it to them in the beginning. Exactly. So really, he was defending his authority in order to defend his message. Yes, yes. And also, if you stop and think about it, he, it wasn't his ego that was to him. That had nothing to do with right. it. It was his calling he was defending. Right. He was defending the calling of Christ to do this job. And therefore, he was... Um, he was defending that. It would be just like me, somebody coming to me and saying, you know, you're not married to your husband. Uh, that's not offensive to me as far as my personal mm -hmm. self is concerned, but all I have to do is pull out my marriage certificate and yeah. say, this it's is wrong. my position. <laughs> I am married to Calvin. Right. Yeah. That's a great example. Um, okay. So we'll see more of him kind of defending and establishing his authority when we walk through the autobiography in the next chapters. Um, but let's move on to his greeting. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Um, I tend to sometimes skip over greetings without really paying close attention to the meaning. But we see here the just depths of theology. Very important. Packed Very into important. just a few words. It's yes. amazing how much he packed into just a few words. I wish I could pack that much meat into just a few words. <laughs> <laughs> go a lot faster. Grace to you and peace kind of summarize Paul's gospel of salvation. The nature of salvation is peace, also known as reconciliation. Peace with God, peace with men, peace with our, within ourselves. The source of salvation is the grace that we see there, um, which we can define as God's unmerited or free favor apart from any human work or worthiness. It is God's loving kindness and patience to the undeserving. Hmm. So we see both of those themes just in the first two words. Yes. Our reconciliation and our unmerited favor right from the yes. beginning. And this grace and peace flow from God the Father and Jesus the Son in tandem together. Paul goes on from here to give us a synopsis of the gospel that he'll um, unpack in detail later in the book. So really, this is kind of the Cliff Notes version of what he's going to talk about the rest of the book. We kind of get it all <clears throat> right here in the first few verses. Did you have anything you wanted to I add? I think you to that? did that very well. Um, <laughs> well thank you. We're good. So in verses three to five, we have the synopsis. Um, and um, I'll go ahead and give a disclaimer out there. And I think Susan would be fine with me saying this. 
we both have um, leaned pretty heavy on John Stott's commentary <laughs> in our study. And um, I actually had several commentaries that I was reading at first, and they all kept quoting John Stott. And so finally I was like, I'm just going to get John Stott's commentary and skip the middleman. Yes, yes. <laughs> and you're very blessed that we're just not reading straight from John Stott. Right. Well, week. we will at some point. <laughs> but we will let you know when we're reading straight from John Stott's. We're not technically copywriting. But um, this... Uh, John Stott's commentary really helped to pull this out in this first three to five verses. Well, uh, we see the synopsis of the gospel there. Three things. One, the nature of Christ's death. Two, the object of Christ's death. And three, the source or origin of Christ's death. So let's look at the first one first. The nature of Christ's death, who gave himself for our sins. Um, the reason for Christ's death was not primarily a display of love or even a display of his greatness, which I think often gets turned around in a lot of churches in our mm -hmm. own minds sometimes. Um, so his, the reason for his death was not primarily a display of love, although it was certainly rooted in love. It was not primarily that. The primary reason for his death was a sacrifice for sins. It echoes the Old Testament language as a sin offering, a forgiving and putting away of our sins. We see later that Christ became a curse for us later in the book of Galatians. He mm. took on his person, the judgment that our sins deserved. This alone leaves no room for us to try and earn God's favor through any action or exactly. work. Um, we have to acknowledge that there is nothing that we can do to rescue ourselves. Which brings us to number two. The object of Christ's death was to rescue us from the present evil age. So first of all, we see that word rescue, love that word. It can sometimes be translated word. as deliver us. The Greek word here is exireo, and it is a strong word. It's used in Acts 7.34 in reference to the Israelites' rescue from Egyptian slavery. We see it again in Acts 12.11 in the rescue of Peter from prison and from Herod the king. And then again, it shows up in Acts 23.27 in the rescue of Paul from the mob looking to lynch him. This is the only place we see it used as a metaphor for salvation. Jesus died to rescue us. I always have loved how the Jesus Storybook Bible refers to Jesus as the great rescuer. The great rescuer. Yes. Um, yes. I spent about a decade in the Jesus Storybook Bible where it was my <laughs> primary source of truth. We also see that what Jesus rescues us from is the present evil age. Not the world. We are in the world, not of it, as salt and light. Um, and John Stott explains this idea of age really clearly in his commentary. And so I'm going to um, explain it the way he explained it to me. The Bible divides history into two ages, this age and the age to come. It tells us that the age to come has already come, inaugurated by Jesus' incarnation and life and ministry on earth. This is what Jesus refers to when he says the kingdom of God is at hand. His coming inaugurated the age to come. But the present age has not yet passed away. So the two ages are running parallel to one another, overlapping one another. When we are called out of this age and into the kingdom of Jesus at our conversion, we are rescued from the old age under the dominion of the enemy and transferred into the new age or the age to come. The Christian life, and this is really helpful for me in understanding the end of the book, the Christian life is living in this age, the life of the age to come, or the resurrected life, which Paul will dig into more in chapters 5 and 6, and we see the spirit-filled life. But I love to see how that, 
that we're being called into the age to come, but still living in this age. So you kind of see that overlap. Um, I do love that because in Ephesians 2.6, uh, Paul himself says we are seated with Christ in the heavenly places. Mm -hmm. We are already there. Oh, that is so good. We're already there. Praise be. Yes. So then the nature of Christ's death was to rescue us from our sin, not only bringing us forgiveness, but that by being forgiven, we are now free to live a new life. Or like you said, we're already there. Already there. We get to live that out, the life of the age to come, yes. right here. He gave of himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age. I just think that's so beautiful. Yes, and don't you, don't you love the thought that as we're living that out in the world around us, that we are showing others what the age to come is going to look like. Mm. Yes, on earth as it is in, in heaven. heaven right? Yes, um, bringing God's kingdom to bear. I do think that's beautiful. So the third point, um, we come to the source or the origin of Christ's death. We um, we talked about the nature was um, that he gave himself for our sins. The object was to rescue us from the present evil age. And now the source or the origin of his death, um, it happened according to the will of God, our, of our God and Father. Not according to our will, as if we could somehow muster up our own rescue. God the Father and Jesus the Son acted in unity at the cross, in accord, according to their will. Um, when he acted, that was the origin of his death, was according to the will of God. Um, so I, he starts after the greeting. He jumps right in. He skips over that Thanksgiving and jumps right in. I am astonished that you're so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. I just hear the voice of a parent in yes, this. I, <laughs> I may have heard myself say, <laughs> I am astonished that you are so quickly doing exactly the opposite of what I told you. Paul goes, um, he just skips over the niceties and dives into the point. Yes. Um, Paul's church planting mission had been a huge success. Uh, in Pisidian of Antioch, many Jews, and these are direct quotes from Acts, many Jews and devout converts to Judaism followed Paul and Barnabas. When the Gentiles heard this, they began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord, and the word of the Lord was spreading throughout the whole region. In Iconium, they spoke in a way that a great number of, of both Jews and Greeks believed. In Lystra, they were welcomed like gods. At Derby, they had preached the gospel to the city and had made many disciples. It was one of the most successful missionary journeys in all of history, which is why Paul is so astonished they're so quickly right. turning away. Right. And I was noticing in part of what I was reading about this word for astonished um, in the rest of the New Testament, that word is used to describe the people's response to Jesus' miracles. So this astonishment mm. is amazing. I mean, mm. I am baffled, overwhelmed, baffled. <laughs> Why? You know, how did, how did this happen? Hmm. So the Greek word there for deserting, um, it's spelled M-E-T-A-T-I-T-H-E-M-I. -E -E Do you want to give it a stab? No. Our resident Greek scholar is sitting in the room without a microphone. <laughs> Say it loud, Calvin. Uh, 
There we go. Metatithemi. You actually sound like the voice of the guy on the blueletterbible.org when you hit the <laughs> pronounce it for me. It's Calvin, actually. Actually, you just didn't know that, did you? <laughs> Susan's husband, Calvin, is sitting in the room with us, and he's helping us with our Greek. Um, so, metatithame, right, <laughs> signifies a transfer of allegiance. You hear it used in military, in the military, of soldiers who revolt or defect, or of people in politics who change sides on a political issue. Um, he's basically accusing the Galatians of being spiritual turncoats. Exactly. They're turning away from the gospel of the grace of God. Grace to undeserving sinners. The grace, God's grace to give a son to die for our sins. God's grace to call us and justify us. None of this is due to our efforts or behavior. Everything in our salvation is due to the grace of God. But they were turning away from it. Right, and I love the fact that I don't know about you, but I have a very strong reaction in my heart and mind when somebody uses the word treason. Mm -hmm. But this is exactly what he's saying. You're treasonous to the gospel. Yeah. So what were they turning to? That's the question I kept asking myself. What if they're not, if it's, if they're not still following the true gospel, what is they're turning to? The Judaizers gospel is summed up in Acts 15.1. Unless you're uncircumcised, Sorry, unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. They did preach that you must believe in Jesus, so they got part way there. there. <laughs> um, but they also stressed that you must be circumcised and keep the law of Moses as well. Here's another stock quote In other words, you must let Moses finish what Christ has begun, or rather, you yourself must finish by your obedience to the law what Christ has begun. You must finish Christ's unfinished work. It's as if they were saying that. So why were they deserting? Um, and what we see from the passage is that there are some who are troubling you. The Greek word here is terasso, and it means to shake or agitate, that troubling. Um, the word that we use for what the Judaizers were doing is false doctrine. Yes, and they, the, the thing to understand here is they weren't walking around with t-shirts on that right. says, I'm telling you a totally different gospel, right. or I am showing you how I'm to be treated. I'm a treason. false teacher. I'm Look a false me. teacher. They were just <laughs> actually basically saying, hmm, Paul took you so far, but mm. now we need to go a little bit further for this gospel yeah. to be complete. Right, yep. So, um, they were trying to pervert or change the gospel. It could even be translated to reverse the gospel. So the two things we see there that the Judaizers were doing, they were troubling the church and they were changing the gospel. And then again, another stock quote. Um, I love what he says here. The devil disturbs the church as much by error as by evil. When he cannot entice the Christian people into sin, he deceives them with false doctrine. So... That begs the question, and I spent a lot of time thinking through this, and I think you guys are going to think through it some too in your homework, in the workbook. What are some of the ways we see other gospels in the modern church today? And I came up with a short list. Um, Riken in his commentary talks a lot about, makes a lot of modern applications of what this might look like. Material prosperity, that Jesus is the way to financial gain. The gospel of family values. Jesus is the way to a happy home. The gospel of self, that Jesus is the way to personal fulfillment. The gospel of morality, that Jesus is the way to be a good person. 
And I love what Calvin said earlier, when you share, when we were talking about this earlier, um, all of those have in common the oh, focus on self. All of, all of these have in common that it is a focus on me. Mm-hmm. How do I make my marriage better? How do I make my children the best children? How do I do any of those things? Right. And the true gospel makes Christ the center. Exactly. Not me. Um, that not on the glory of the person, um, that is not on the glory of the person of Christ and God the Father. Mm-hmm. It's on myself. Instead, I think one good way to actually to compare that is the false prophets that were there, the false teachers. Uh, one definition of false prophets in the Old Testament and even the New was that they tell you what you want to hear. Mm. Um, and so then this picture that we're looking at of all of these things is, is the me part of it. Mm. But the true apostle is saying this is what God says. Mm-hmm. This is how he, and in the Old Testament, the prophets would say, thus saith the Lord. Right. And it was revolutionary. Yes. Then, and it's revolutionary right. now. Yes. Um, which I think is, you know, consistent. So the last verses of our passage, but even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed As we've said before, now I say it again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. So we saw Paul's first reaction was astonishment. Yes. Overwhelmed at the Galatians. And then he moves on to straight up indignation at the false teachers. Yes. Um, So this next section is a bit touchy for a lot of people. Um, Paul calls down... A curse, basically, on the false teachers. And then repeats himself, just in case anyone is thinking that he was just having a childish outburst. Yep. Or wasn't thinking clearly. He says, nope, this is exactly what I meant to say. The Greek word he uses there for a curse is anathema. And it's an expression of desire that God's judgment would fall on them. Um, So the question there that naturally comes to mind, why did he feel so strongly about this? This is a life and death manner, matter. Right. We're talking eternal life as opposed to uh, no life at all after, mm-hmm. after death, no life with Christ. It's a, this was strong. These were his. And again, we have to stop and think. Yes, he was angry, he was, but he was like a father. Right. These were his kids. Yeah. It's like I said last week. It's like a parent who sees their kid running into the street with oncoming traffic and yes. they yell, stop before it's too late and sweep them out of the street and he uses this as the shock and awe method in other words Mm -hmm. the anathema is this is this is what's going to happen to these if they continue doing this there is a curse right and we talked blessings and curses from the old testament Mm -hmm. so here we are again yeah actually comes from an old testament um, yeah, so there are two things that we can see from the texts why he feels so strongly here. The first is the glory of Christ right. is at stake. As we said before, to add anything of your own doing to the requirement for salvation diminishes the finished work of Christ. It implies that his finished work is somehow unsatisfactory and needs improvement or addition. Um, and you mentioned that Teller, Keller quoted somebody else mm-hmm. um, all I need is need. Yeah, right. John Gerstner, he called him the old man Gerstner, and he yes. said, all I need is need. All yes. I need is nothing. All I need is nothing. Yep. 
And then the second thing we see from the text, um, the, the other reason that he is feeling so strongly here is that the souls of men and women are at stake. stake. Eternal life. Yep. We aren't talking about differing views on baptism or whether or not technology should be allowed in the church. Um, We're talking about the fundamental nature of the gospel. Yes. Keller said, you take my finger and it hurts, but you take my heart and I am no more. I no longer exist. This is the heart of what it is to be a Christ follower. Jesus himself said about the person causing another to stumble in Mark 9 42 that it would be better for him if a great millstone were hung around his neck and he was turned into the sea. So um, Jesus himself felt very strongly about um, anyone troubling his people or troubling the foundation of the gospel. So the point here is there is only one gospel, not variations of the same. To alter or change it in any way is to have a different gospel, which is no gospel at all. At all, right. So this leads us to our final question. How can we recognize the true gospel? How do we shore up our faith to be able to recognize false teaching? And I think we're going to learn more and more about that as we go through the book. We will. Paul talks about that in detail. But there are two things that we can use. And this is another concept I got from Stott, John Stott. There are two things that we can use as a test for the true gospel. The first thing um, is, is it's the gospel of God's grace given freely and without expectation of anything from man. Whenever a teacher starts making much of a man or woman, that he can contribute anything, whether it's morality, religion, philosophy, education, anything of man, the gospel is being perverted. Yes. So number one, it's the gospel of God's grace, period. Yes. Alone. Alone, that's right. Do you have anything to add to that? No. Okay. The second test to um, discerning the true gospel um, is that it would it's the gospel of the apostles from the New Testament the capital A's capital A apostles in the New Testament anyone who teaches anything other than what we find in the New Testament should be rejected so we should be wary if we're enamored by someone's giftedness or position or influence I don't care if they're an official a professor have a large social media following or the Pope himself, if they bring a gospel other than the one we see preached by the apostles in the New Testament, it is not true. If a preacher in a well-established church always talks about the gospel but never gets around to confronting sin, it falls short of the true gospel. If someone teaches that there are multiple ways to get to God, not the true gospel. And this gets tricky because often these people seem like really good really nice people exactly a lot of them even say they believe in Jesus and may I step in here and say I'm hawking right now there are two things that I think those of you who are listening to us tonight should check into and think about Um, Netflix has put out a documentary recently called the American Gospel Christ Alone it is Excellent, and I think that what it does is it embodies what we as believers today are dealing with as Paul was dealing with the Galatians. It's a very, uh, a picture of another gospel Mm. as opposed to the gospel. It's Mm. very, very good. Mm. And the other is we in the church get trapped in these things, just like you were saying a minute ago. We can get trapped in an agenda 
rather than in Christ alone. Yeah. And um, there's a book that was written by um, a lady by the name of Rosemary Miller. Her husband was Jack Miller, some of you may know, who was a professor at Westminster Seminary. She went through a journey of dealing with exactly this in her life and um, brought to a real understanding of what it means to be a son of God mm -hmm. through the study of the book of Galatians. And the name of the book is From Freer, Fear to Freedom. Mm -hmm. Excellent book. Mm -hmm. uh, Thank you for that. That uh, I mean, this is my story too. I yeah. have referred to myself as a recovering Pharisee on multiple occasions. That um, And Galatians as an adult was um, huge, like a... Yes. It was an explosion. It was a bomb. <laughs> it was a bomb. <laughs> it was for me. Um, and continues to be because yes. it, is a, it is a daily, I think, was it Luther, Martin Luther, who talks about how, um, like, in order for, for this to become real to us, we have to preach the true gospel every, every day. day. I was, other people have put it another way. You walk through the door of the gospel every day. Every day. A fresh, mm -hmm. new. Yep. Check yourself. Yes. <laughs> Um, okay, so thank you for those recommendations. I'm excited to look into that documentary, too. Um, let me find where I was. So, okay, that's we were talking about, like, if they, a lot of these people even say they believe in Jesus. Mm. But what Jesus do they believe in? Exactly. Is it the Christ whose righteousness alone can make us right with God? If it isn't, it isn't the true gospel. So, finally, I have a quote by Philip Ryken, um, that will finish, help us close out. And he says, consider what the gospel says. It does not tell us what we have to do to please God. Instead, it announces that God is already pleased with us mm -hmm. through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. God is as pleased with us as he is with his own son. Mm -hmm. This liberates us from seeking the approval of others. It frees us from striving for God's favor. We already have the tender affection of his eternal love. What more do we need? Nothing more, which is why the one true gospel is such amazingly good news. Amen. Will you pray for us, Susan? I will. Dearest of fathers, you've brought us to this book this year to study. You have brought us to the very basics of Christianity, what it is to know you and be in relationship with you. Pray for each one of us as we study this, teachers, students, whoever it is. It was just as true for the capital A apostles as it is for us today and vice versa. May we be those who live in Christ alone, by faith alone, yeah. uh, by grace as well alone. Help us to embrace all of this daily, for it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.